Episode 16, Mid-Year Move. In part two of my conversation with Chelsea Morelli, she shares more about how she sets her students up for success and how she had to get a job and make a move out of state in the middle of the year. She had quite an experience. Do you ever find yourself barely able to hold your head above water? Waves of IEPs, data collection, assessments, parent conferences, not to mention lesson plans and seasonal activities are all crashing around you. You need help, but not just from anybody. Grab the lifeline that is the Help for Special Educators podcast. We will equip you with creative solutions and teacher-tested strategies so you can navigate the rewarding but difficult job as a special ed teacher. This is Lisa Goodell, your host. Welcome to episode 16, where we will hear part two of my interview with Chelsea Morelli. We jump in as we move from talking about schedules to talking about using paras in our classroom and what types of curriculums that Chelsea has used as she's worked with different populations of students. Okay, so when you're doing your groups in your classroom, do you have a specific curriculum that you would use or what would you have your paras do? So we would use handwriting without tears for one group and it wasn't always appropriate for all of my kids. So my lower level kids would be working on letter formation and my para would be able to differentiate for my higher level kids and they would be working on writing a sentence or remembering to use capital letters, things like that. Those are things that like I would ask her like, hey, this child's goal is to write two sentences on one topic. Here are some ideas of how I would like to get them there. I would make handouts for her or just show her like, hey, give them a sentence starter and then have them do fill in the blank to figure out the rest or have them draw a picture and then talk to you in sentences, things like that. So I give my parents kind of leeway on how they want to do it. I just kind of make some suggestions. And then my other para would work on phonics and she actually had a really strong background in phonics. I've been trained in Orton Gillingham. So I had all the equipment in my room and would kind of give her ideas, not even going to lie and act like I'm really the best at following the Orton Gillingham structure. I love it, but I just really struggled following the structure in the classroom all the time. Sometimes I get off topic. You take what the kids need and have them use that. Right, exactly. So I kind of took the pieces out of the Orton Gillingham of what I really thought would be most effective on my students and would have her kind of do that with them. And then I would try my hardest at my group to follow their grade level instruction. In Arkansas, I tried to use some of the literacy program that they were using. This past year, we used a leveled literacy intervention program in my classroom, which was actually a lot of fun to use. I liked it because it's like a constant assessment of the kids. So literally I know what level my kids are at all the time in reading. And then I also found this wonderful interactive literacy notebook on Teachers Pay Teachers. And I use it all the time and now I can't remember who it's by. If I can think about it, I'll share it with you. (laughs) Maybe afterwards, you can let me know what the link is. You can look it up and I'll put it in the show notes. Yes. So this interactive literacy journal is for an entire school year. Best investment of my life. And it just has short little stories. And it is wonderful for children with autism because they do the same 
five days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you do the same thing each week with just with a different story. So it's wonderful for them. Like it takes us a couple months. And after two or three months, they're like, okay, I know what to do. She wants me to bring my journal to the table. I'll bring it. Let me go ahead and get started cutting out my Monday activity. That's just something I found on my own, mainly because I haven't really been in a classroom, honestly, where they have said, this is the literacy program I want you to use. Other than the um, leveled literacy intervention program that we use, I have not had anyone come to me and say, this is what you're doing. So now do you do your groups for math as well or just for the literacy time in the morning? Yes, we do groups as well for math. And is that later in the day or at the same time? Yeah. So we do math groups in the afternoon is when I found the best time to do math. Typically by the time we get to the afternoon, it's time for one of my parents to take a break or one of my parents is finishing up with the older kids in the cafeteria or taking them to the playground. So typically it would just be me and one parent in the classroom. And we would just run like a little rotation of math. Maybe I might set up like an independent station and have her working on just reviewing basic number facts or number sense, little activities like that. Whereas I would be working on trying to differentiate those grade level skills that we still need to get. Is there anything specific for autism that you'll be doing differently when you set up your room this year as far as decorations and the walls? I absolutely love decorating. Don't get me wrong. But I try to not make it my focus at the beginning of the year. I kind of like to save that so that the kids can kind of help me and kind of have their input on it as well. But in my past experiences, I have learned because of the students that I was working with and the population I had that decorations, anything that I really, really loved and really, really thought was cute, needed to be up higher off of the wall, out of reach. That way it helped when they were sitting and I was assessing them. It wasn't in their line of sight. So it wasn't distracting. And also if we were to happen to have a meltdown or something like that, chances of it getting torn down were a little less if it was a little bit up higher. When I was teaching resource before I taught self-contained, I would usually always have my walls decorated with all kinds of different things, have it be very, very colorful. And then when we started doing a particular autism test for assessments, that's when I found out that really you need to have have a part of your room that doesn't have a lot of decorations and things on it because that's actually more calming for students with autism. And so I took down part of my room because that was the area that the student might be facing during assessment time. And again, I was teaching resource, so I didn't have students in my class all day long. They just came in and out for groups or some years I was doing full inclusion or co-teaching where I was in the general ed classroom all the time. So I was able to do that. I also am a huge, huge fan of cool down corners. And there's a picture of one that I did a couple years ago in the show notes. And I had a mirror that I just got lucky and it was on the back of the door. And when I walked in the room, I thought, oh my gosh, who put this mirror here on this door? You can't even open. And then I just started thinking, and I love Disney movies. So I changed it into mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the calmest of them all? And I had a bunch of little supports for calming down that I had found all over the place on Teachers Pay Teachers, or I just threw them together myself really easily. Just little things like Velcroing numbers for breathing. So like take a breath, 
put on number one, take a breath, put on number two, social stories for helping children calm down. And I strategically place that next to my reading corner most of the time because I have these really wonderful comfy disc chairs. So the kids could kind of cuddle up in there if they just needed that extra sensory input of getting sinking into that comfortable chair to help them calm down a little bit. Unfortunately, those chairs didn't make the trip because I had too much other stuff to put in the moving truck. That is definitely something that I would suggest first year teachers, or if you don't have one, I would definitely suggest putting some kind of cool down area in your room, maybe putting some little sensory toys over there. They're not going to know how to use it. You're going to have to teach them how to use it, which is something a first year teacher like myself, I did not think about. I was like, you, you need to calm down, go to the calm down corner. And they're like, I don't even know how to use that. What do I do? So we would practice it. Even if we weren't upset, I would demo myself and pretend to get upset and take myself over to the corner and have them follow and watch me so that they could see what it was like. And then we'd role play and have them do it as well. So that is definitely something I would suggest to do in your room and make sure you show them and teach them how to use it appropriately. That way it doesn't get torn apart. (laughs) Right. Oh, I know. You were talking about the comfy chairs. Do you use flexible seating in your classroom or do you still have students with desks, but then they might have a special area that's more comfortable? So I always wanted to put flexible seating in my room. And that was like my plan all along the first year. I had these wonderful exercise balls that were like out in storage, but I knew that I couldn't just drop them in the room. That would have just been overwhelming, not just for me, but for the kids as well. So we started with desks and then my children just like became kind of like obsessed with their desks and they kind of became like their safe space. We don't really work at our desk. They're just there so that they can have something that's theirs. This is my seat. This is where I can put my stuff. Yeah. That's just, that's just how that kind of started. And eventually I did bring the exercise balls out and we use them for special seats over at the computer area. Of course, after practicing how to use them correctly, what do we do? What do we not do? What happens if we don't do it correctly? We lose our ball, things like that. I never put anything new in my classroom without us like having a meeting over it. I do have plans for this year, actually. I was just at Michael's the other day and they had all their outdoor stuff 70% off. So I bought some flexible seating in hopes that I'll be able to do it this year since I'm teaching fourth and fifth grade. Maybe be a little more mature and we'll be able to implement it eventually. I think that's an important point that you've made indirectly, I guess, several times during our talk is just that everything doesn't have to be perfect on day one. Everything's going to evolve during the school year, whether it's not putting so much up on the walls or whether it's changing the seating or changing the routines that you do, that it can build on top of each other. And and I know in my years in the classroom, that really helped as well because the kids can only handle so much. The beginning of the year, we try to keep it very simple academically because we're really trying to focus on those routines. And I like how you talked about how we have a meeting about it. We do modeling, I role play, they watch, then they do it. And so they know what's expected. And I think that explicit teaching is so very important in any classroom, but especially in our special ed classrooms. So I appreciate you bringing that in there throughout our talk. Yes. And another thing on that It's just being intentional. I remember when I was setting up this whole schedule system and I was in the teacher's lounge with the printer, with the colored Astro Bright paper, trying to print off the kids' schedules 
and I wanted them color coded and everyone had to be, have the same color for each day. Every Mondays had to be pink. Every Tuesdays had to be green all the way through the week. It took me forever to put that schedule system together. It's very intricate. I knew it wasn't going to be perfect. It has been changed and molded. But I remember I was in there and another teacher looked at me and she was like, I didn't realize how OCD you were. And I looked at her and said, I'm not OCD. I'm intentional. I have to have all of Monday's schedules have to be pink because that was part of my kids' routine. When they came in in the morning, you know, I said, okay, today it's pink schedules. Make sure your schedule's correct. And they would go to their hook and they'd flip it to the pink one and go on with their day. That way they knew every kid doesn't have speech. Right. Monday through Friday. Speech is only, you know, Tuesday, Thursdays at one o'clock. So they have it on that right color. And that doesn't just go with the scheduling. I'm intentional with a lot of things I do. Sometimes I will intentionally give a child a tough situation after we've role played and worked out. How do we work out our feelings? How do we work out when I don't do the correct thing that Miss Morelli wants me to do? Well, then I'll intentionally set up a situation where maybe they may not do what I want them to do. And then they have to stop and think, should I get upset now? Or should I apologize to Ms. Morelli? What should I do? And I think that's a lot of special education. We have to be so intentional in everything that we're doing, especially with children with autism. We really have to kind of set them up for that success. Yeah. And I think that's good because you have to set it up so they have a chance to make a choice. How am I going to react in this situation? Something happens mm-hmm. that they're not expecting and then they have a meltdown. Okay. Well, how can you teach them slowly to be more flexible? And sometimes you do have to set up a situation and you have to kind of press them and see, okay, what are they going to do? Especially if you know what they would normally do, but then you're trying to teach them this other way. And I think sometimes for the students with autism and with most of our students, that's just as academic in some ways as reading fluency at a second grade level, because they may not be able to do the academics that they're capable of if they're having such a hard time with the other parts of the day. Exactly. And that's how I kind of look at behavior in my classroom as well. I'm very intentional of how I set up those opportunities. And I also make sure from the get-go in my classroom, I learned something in Vanderbilt that was called error-free learning. That was my first exposure to it. And I thought, this is the silliest thing. We are just giving them the answer. This doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. And I didn't realize until I got into a classroom how important error-free learning really can be, especially when it comes to behavior. I will whisper into a kid's ear, hey, you're about to come up to where you need to make a choice. Let's make sure you make the right one. Remember, we talked about doing blah, blah, blah instead of blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as they pick the right choice, we party like it's 1999 again, like we celebrate. And there's that error-free learning right there. And that's something that was like, I don't get this. Why, why are we setting these kids up to succeed without actually teaching them? But especially with children with autism, that's just their best way to learn a lot of them. I'm not saying all of them by any means, but that's just a really important skill to use in the classroom for teachers is that error-free learning and keeping things really positive. A lot of these children, if taking things away from them, especially my children with autism, I've got a couple in my mind right now taking things away from them just as a punishment would just cause even more meltdowns. So instead, I would try to flip those situations around into, okay, how can I get them to do what I want them to do so that I can reward them instead of taking something away for those bad choices? Oh, yeah, definitely. Chelsea, I appreciate all this great information that you're giving us about your classroom. And so I do think that our listeners might be interested in how you dealt with moving in the middle of the school year, not only having to say goodbye to your students, but packing up your room and getting another job in another city in another state. Do you want to just briefly talk about that experience? 
So moving in the middle of the school year, I had had my students for two and a half years. So to say it was not easy is an understatement. I was very emotional for a little while. In fact, my principal had me sit in on an interview of someone that was taking my position and I literally busted out crying in the middle of the interview. So it was a very emotional time for me to leave. And my school was a very small school where I got my first job. I was the youngest one on staff. So all of the teachers there were like my mom's and I was eight hours away from my mom. So it was my family there. But going into the job search process in the middle of the year, I knew going into it from my experience of teaching resource, I knew that I probably was not going to land into the perfect position. Resource was not the position for me. And it almost was my demise, but I conquered it. (laughs) So I knew going into this, I kind of kept that in the back of my mind. I'm just going to get there, get my feet wet, get into a district that I think I want to be in. I actually had to interview like all over Thanksgiving break. It was crazy. I interviewed and I accepted a job over Thanksgiving break. Show up the one day of teacher planning before the second semester started. I show up at lunchtime because I had to go to the office to do all my paperwork. And they said, are you lost? And I said, no, I think I'm supposed to be teaching here. And they're like, well, what are you teaching? And I said, the SLB classroom. Oh, we hired someone for that? Well, it turns out that the principal had retired. And so nobody even knew that I was coming. Oh my Um, gosh. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, I knew it it wasn't the perfect position, but I tried to make it the best I could. I tried to have the biggest impact on those students. And I tried to keep my heart open, I guess, because I knew that I had left my little babies in Arkansas, but I still grew fondly attached of my ones that I had here. And thankfully, the ladies who took over my room, so they let me call all the time to check in on everyone and see how everything was going. My husband was not real thrilled when he saw all of the stuff that was in the moving truck. I don't think he realized it until we got to Atlanta and we opened up the moving truck and literally the back half of the moving truck was all of my classroom stuff. (laughs) So that was probably the most overwhelming thing was having to pack up all my stuff and get it out. And I was trying to do it quietly for the first few weeks because I hadn't quite told everyone that I was moving yet. So it was an experience. And my mother-in-law always says, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It made me stronger. So good luck to whoever's doing it. If anyone has any questions or ever like wants to reach out to me, please do. I had the experience of all experiences. I feel like moving middle of the year. But you just have to take it with a grain of salt and lighthearted and it's not the right spot you end up in, you know, it wasn't meant to be and you just move to the next one and fall into the right spot eventually. Yeah. And I think that's smart for anybody looking for a job, even if it's just their first job and they're not moving anywhere, that sometimes you do have to take something that might not be your first choice. I know I stayed home for a few years after my daughter was born. And when I eventually went back into public education, the principal had said, I really want you. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be a special ed position opening up by the end of the summer, but I can't guarantee it. But the only position we have is kindergarten. Would you be willing to apply for that and even teach that if you needed to? But I really think this other job is going to open up. And again, for me, I was in a very rural area, so it wasn't like a big, huge district. And so I was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. And so I interviewed and I took that job. But in August, right before school started, the other position opened up. And so I was able to take the special ed position, but I was willing to do the kindergarten. I don't think it would have been my favorite, 
but sometimes you have to do what you have to do to get into the grade level or the type of class that you want. And I think it's all about having a good attitude about it. And like you're saying, you make the best of it and then you can adjust later on. Yes. And actually, I was thinking I turned this into a really good learning experience for myself because some of my kids back in Arkansas, I was really also having to focus on those community-based skills and communication skills and things like that as well. So when I moved here, I got placed into a position where I was focused more on academic skills. Like I said, I knew going into this, it wasn't going to be the perfect experience. And I definitely could tell that after, you know, the first few weeks in there, I I said, okay, this may not be the place for me, but there's nothing really that I can do about it now. I'm going to have to buckle down and get through this. And hopefully, eventually down the road, maybe I'll get into something that is more my forte, which is autism. Sloane Stevens is a tennis player. I play a lot of tennis. So she always says she never loses, she learns lessons. So that was my theme for this whole semester was... I have not lost. This is not a lost year. I am learning lessons here. I kind of took it as a chance to try some different things in the classroom and figure some things out and figure out the best way to incorporate more academic skills, which is something that was new to me. So yeah, it was a learning experience. I did not lose this year. I just learned some lessons. Oh, I love that. That's excellent. I think I see that as a teacher mantra, you know, yes, it, it all works out in the end because you take an experience that you had and who knows who you might have in the future who may have autism in your class, but maybe they need more academics. And so then you'll fall back to something that you learned from that semester. So I don't think anything is wasted. No, never. Not in the classroom. Okay, well, let's go ahead and wrap up our talk. Why don't you share with us how people can reach out to you online, perhaps, if they have more questions? If you guys have any more questions or you want to poke me for any more answers or anything like that, please feel free. I absolutely love working with other teachers and especially new teachers. Back in Arkansas, I mentored quite a few new teachers. Even though I was quite young, they still allowed me to be a mentor. It's something I'm very passionate about. So please feel comfortable finding me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Mrs. underscore special education, or just search my name. You'll be able to find me and you could shoot me a message or anything like that. I love to answer questions and help people out. Is it the same for your TPT store? No, there's not an underscore there. It's just a space. Okay. So it'll be Mrs. Special Education for Teacher Pay Teachers. Yes. Okay. Well, I wish you the best of luck as you're getting ready for this new school year and your students with autism. And I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. Show notes for this episode can be found at lisagadell.com slash podcast 16. That's L-I-S-A. G-O-O-D-E-L-L. Please join us in the Facebook group where you can give me feedback as well as get yourself on the show. It's at facebook.com slash groups slash help for special educators podcast. You can also send me an email at help for special educators at gmail.com. Now, When I start to get stressed or overwhelmed about school stuff, I find it helps to take a moment to slow down, stop, and focus on my breathing. Sometimes, I also might say the serenity prayer aloud or in my head. Here it is. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I might also add a few of my own words 
Here's a sample for us special educators. Help us to listen and truly understand our students. Please give us words, actions, and solutions which will help in difficult situations. May our classrooms be peaceful places where teachers, staff, and students learn and thrive. After that, I try to go out and find someone else to help because helping others keeps me from selfishly dwelling on my own problems. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you heard something helpful during this episode that you can implement in your teaching. Remember, you are amazing. What you do makes a difference, and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Go find someone else to encourage because they probably need to be reminded that they are amazing too.